0: Hi, everybody. We are Joel and Julie of the Performance Group. Welcome back to the Telesummit. The, uh, the theme or the title, Adventure, Mission, Romance, How to Fall in Love and Stay in Love. And we have had a very eclectic and interesting group of speakers from around the world. Uh, today's speaker from the lovely city of San Diego, we want to welcome Jennifer Konzen to our panel. Welcome, Jennifer. Great to be together. Thank you. Uh, A little bit about Jennifer, we're going to read, I'm going to read her bio to you. Um, Jennifer has, uh, for credentials, she has most of the alphabet that follows her (laughs) last name, so I'm going to let her describe all of these. Uh, She's a PhD, she's a licensed marriage and family therapist, she's the director for the Center of Sexuality in San Diego, California, as I said earlier, licensed marriage and family therapist, a certified sex therapist through the American Board of Christian Sex Therapists and a certified chemical dependency counselor. She's also a nationally awarded award-winning researcher, an international speaker, the author of Graduated Intimacy, a guided intervention for increasing sexual intimacy in marriage, and an adjunct professor at Elian Diego in Bethel Seminary, San Diego. Jennifer has been married for 22 years to her wonderful husband, Tim, and has four amazing children. 2018, 16, and 14. And again, we say welcome. I know Julie wants to do her little official welcome, and then we're going to jump right in. Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, thank you again, Jennifer, cho- for joining us. We know that your life is mega busy with four children yeah. at the so ages. T- not pay attention to the mess in the background. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're now all.
0: That, now that you've drawn our yeah. eye to that, wow, what is that on your wall, Jennifer? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you for welcoming us to your home too. We really appreciate that with your busy schedule. And we know that you have lots and lots of people that you help ongoingly. So we're really, really looking forward to how you're going to, what we, what the wisdom that you're going to share with all of us and um, all the opportunity that we get to have to be with you, even for this short time. So thank you. Yeah. I'm looking
0: forward to. It. Yeah, so uh, loving the impact, Jennifer, that you're having in the world. Uh, interesting, interesting grouping of uh, credentials and experiences, and obviously as a licensed in marriage uh, family therapist, I'm sure that you see themes, you know, in humanity that that need help, and and uh, you're probably developing a specialty. Uh, so, but the first question is, with your background, why the specialty in sex therapy?
2: Uh, that really has to do with noticing needs. Um, when I was in the midst of my doctoral program, working on getting my doctorate, we had to do a simple assignment in the middle of that, and it was to interview a couple. Oh uh, well, several on their intimate relationship and it became very clear because these were actually all people I knew so they they weren't clients they were people that you know in your community and of course for me it was people that I know from church and so I had asked people who were very comfortable talking about their (laughs) sexual relationship right and I asked very probing embarrassing questions Um, but Super early on, it was clear that even the strongest of couples talking about sexuality is hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, my big uh, saying is it's easier to just do it than it is to talk about it. Right. And for a lot of couples, that's true. They just kind of do it and they don't talk about it because it's just, it's an intimate, vulnerable, risky conversation to have. Yeah. And so it became pretty clear that um, that was a need. So, yeah. I wrote a program. I was already a licensed therapist at the time, but I went ahead and wrote a program for sex therapy, yeah. and um, began using it and seeing the depth to which it was needed. I um, yeah. yeah, that was that was the main.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and it's a great starting point for us. Um, I had the privilege of recently writing a book, Rewired, and it's about removing some, uh, removing limiting beliefs and specifically in the area of performance and some in intimacy and my clinical backgrounds in physiology. So I don't have the background. I want to put that out there for you as a listener and a viewer. I'm not a clinician psychologically, uh, nor in the realm of, of sexuality, but I will say this after Julie and I, you know, 10,000 hours of counseling couples in marriage, um, ministry. Uh, and that's the reason why I asked this question was, uh, you know, the one thing that we noticed and I, I actually opened up, I wrote a chapter on this in my book and I said, you know, there's one area that, that couples are really good at talking about their sexuality. In, and that's when it comes to their disappointment in it. And, and it's because... <laughs> To your point, you know, it's we do not have a comfortable dialogue about how we talk about it. And it's amazing how it becomes this hugely taboo thing that we get fearful of. And it's not until we have somebody like you um, where it's safe and it's guided and, you know, people are not attacking each other and we're trying to really deal with the issue. And 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 the root, and not the symptoms, that we can get some clarity. And so I, I really, you know, I, I really appreciate even how you shared on the front end because we need um, tools and a vehicle and a context that's healthy to talk about something that we do and we really want to do often, and we really want to t- talk about it. But we Some
2: people want to do often,
0: yeah. <laughs> but but that's we.
1: Part the problem.
0: <laughs> so. Suchet, well put.
1: <laughs> I was just thinking when we were talking here a minute ago, I know that I'm um, I'm sure this happens. And Joel and I have been laughing, thinking, okay, we gotta get some time with Jennifer for ourselves. <laughs> so before when we were reading just your bio and I was telling him about you and all our, our new friendship that we built through this project. And um, but I was thinking to myself earlier and wondering if talking about it is One of the biggest issues, because I'm sure one of the things people think, and I actually would have thought this, you're going to fix us if we go to you, but it's, I'm sure you can't really do that in that, in what I'm, the way I'm thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, and often people come in and they, um, they'll tell me, um, our relationship is great. We have a good friendship. We have a great marriage. And the only problem that we have is sex. So can you fix us? And yeah. unfortunately, <laughs> every couple that says that, there's always more going on sure. than just the actual act of sex. Yeah. And so, um, there's, you know, it's, it's usually a process of care and of treatment and, you know, people come in and they go, so how often, you know, it costs money and it costs time and they want to know, you know, how long do we need to see you? And I get it. I get the whole money and time thing, but yeah, um, Usually, the process of treatment for sexual issues, um, there has to be a commitment of time and money to actually work through that. Sure. Um, it's not just a slap dash, you know, get right. in. There is an occasional couple where I, you know, I can do some basic, what you would call psychoeducation, just do some educating, and they're in a better spot. Right, right. Um, but that's like one in a hundred, a yeah. few hundred. So, the typical couple has a, quite a number of things to work through, um, not just in the sexual act, but also in the other person, of the relationship that's affecting sexuality. Sure, sure. So, yeah, being okay with the process of care.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's helpful. Helpful. Yes. You authored the manual, which Joel alluded to or spoke about earlier, is called "The Gr- Graduated Intimacy: A Guide Guided Intervention for Increasing Sexual Intimacy in Marriage." Can you tell us a little more about that? Sure. Um,
2: It was actually an outflow of an assignment. I'm a bit of an overachiever, and the assignment (laughs) the assignment was to just come up with an intervention to help the couples that you interviewed. And so most of the students had like hand massages or taking a shower together and things like that. And I wrote a six week program. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so my, uh, the professor, this is early in my doctoral program, said this should be your dissertation. Yeah, great. Well, for four years, I took that input, and for four years, everything I studied and researched and wrote on and presented on was on sexuality. And I, in that time period, of course, then expanded and grew this manual that I had written, and I had already been using it for other couples. Um, in my private practice, and it became really clear as I approached my finishing my dissertation that I was actually going to study my own model. So that's actually what all of my research is based on. Is my I took um, 32 couples through a research project. They all went through therapy with me using this manual, and we studied them before and after. It's in the process of publication actually right now. The research on it, and. Um, the real goal was to have some kind of framework to help couples. It's a little challenging because sex therapy um, doesn't have a lot of frameworks, actually, for those in the field. If anybody's watching this, it's really frustrating, actually, to find tools. Yeah. Um, actually, manuals are not very popular in therapy anyway, and especially for an... Something so tender and individual and special, and it, to put a manual and say, This is how you do sex therapy, sounds a little problematic, and um, it is rightfully so. Mm-hmm. So, it's been great actually learning how to use a manual that guides my practice and guides my care, but tailoring it really carefully and really specifically to the individual couple in my office. Great. And so, that's the goal is um, I use this manual, and then I also use it to train other therapists. Again, because there's not a lot of training out there for therapists in sex therapy, especially, I qualify that, those who want to do it from a, a Christian background, especially. Right. Right. And so um, this kind of gives people that handle on how to train sex therapy as well as how to do sex therapy mm-hmm. with couples. Um, most therapists are trained to do sex therapy very Minimally, you have to take one course in your uh, program, and so very few people take any more training outside of that, and so the the need was double. It was for the couples coming to see me and for other therapists to have something to hold on to, and uh, it was really fun doing the
0: research on it and finding that it it works. Wow, great stuff. Now, in your thousands of hours of private counsel, and I'm sure you've done a lot of study work and uh, you've been a part of studies, this is a two-part question, and I'll try to keep it very simplistic. Uh, In the first part, what would you say are the one or two themes or patterns that you've discovered for couples that actually have healthy sexual lives? Is there one or two things that kind of stand out that you've seen Uh, communication, etc. And on the flip side of that, for couples that do come to you, are there any patterns of dysfunction that create unhealthy sex lives? And maybe if this is not asking too much, you can maybe loop into that um, pornography and its effect, masturbation and its effect. And this, of course, this is all anecdotal. This is anecdotal to your own personal practice. Mm Mm-hmm
2: partially anecdotal. What's fun is when you've actually done research on it, I could actually tell you the numbers behind the yep, opinions. We like that. So to that's have fun. Said. Yeah, that's kind of fun. There are major specifics to healthy sexuality, um, and I am going to be going a little bit off the top of my head. I don't have my research right in front of me, so let me go over some of those. Um, definitely one of the pieces is the healthy marital relationship. So, duh. Right? If we have a good marital relationship, sexuality goes good. Actually, research on that has been solid for a few decades. My study said the same thing. If a couple is strong in their marital relationship, they're going to be stronger, at least, in their sexual relationship. It doesn't mean that they're not going to have problems, but as far as just numbers and statistics, it's higher. So, friendship, good communication, good uh, heart to heart. Communication. Good, the word I use is intimacy, hence my title, Graduated Intimacy. So, um, good, deep intimacy is huge to healthy sexuality. Um, and then the other piece is definitely how to talk about sexuality. When, and again, this is shown in the research, if couples are able to talk openly about sexuality, their sexual functioning is better. Right, right. Um, definitely, looking at it from a Christian lens, when couples are solid on their feet spiritually, when they are genuinely into the Word and they have a fellowship of relationships that they're supported by, and that's really key, those other supportive relationships, that has a, a definite influence on it. Huge, in my personal opinion, that part we did not actually research. And then uh, the willingness to continually change. So, one of the researchers out there is John Gottman, and he actually found that marriages that last um, are, it's kind of funny, if the husband is able to be influenced by the wife. Well, I actually feel like it's influenced both ways, but. The ability of the spouses to let their spouse influence them and um, that that has a key in sexuality, actually. Yeah, wow. And then another big piece is empathy. So, one of the uh, I get teased about how many times I use the word peace, so you know, you can take that out. Okay. Uh, it's all good. Is empathy. Empathy is important for every relationship, mm-hmm. but it is surprisingly important. The sexual relationship. Right. So you think what does it have to do with it? It has a lot to do with it. So when couples feel like my spouse gets me, they care, they hurt when I hurt, they rejoice when I rejoice, they they get my struggles, right. their sexual relationship goes better.
0: Yeah. yeah.
2: So when empathy is there in the overall relationship, then when they're discussing sexuality and having uh, sexual interactions, they go better.
0: Right. Now before we so, move on to the second part of the question, what does a dysfunction Could you just give us a very simplistic working definition of intimacy? Like for for me as a man, in my mind, if I can go to my wife, who I've been married to for 28 years, and I can bare my soul, talk about my weaknesses, um, in my mind, that's being intimate. Um, But could you give us as a viewer and a listener, is there a general working definition? Particularly, you can help us guys out because we really (laughs) want to get this because... This is the conundrum that we live in. We know that our wives need emotional intimacy, and we of course men need it too, but men need the physical card and I'm not going to say more because I've counseled enough married couples to so know that's not necessarily the case. There are exceptions, but give us a definition of of a working definition of intimacy just that can help the conversation here
2: yeah, sure well, so. Actually, that's what most of my research is on, is on intimacy, and uh, one of the studies that I did was on people's definition of NMC. and then I use a questionnaire that it's an assessment that people do before and after therapy that assesses their level of NSC. The study that I did looked at what kind of words do people use to describe NMC? So you just ask me, I'll send you the results of that. (laughs)
1: Um, But it does fall under different
2: categories. And yes, uh, overall, one of my favorite researchers, um, she wrote The Psychology of the Animacy, and she and several other researchers have come up with some general definitions, and actually what you just described as far as bearing your soul and talking about your weaknesses. so. The general understanding of overall intimacy means the soul-bearing sharing back and forth. The exposure of self right. is a common understanding of the definition of intimacy. Right. right. Um, when I asked couples what how they defined intimacy, they did it in several different ways. They definitely, the highest was um, emotional intimacy, that heart-to-heart sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, it is culturally not as acceptable, though, for men to heart-to-heart share. Right. So um, some men actually are better talkers than women. But in general, it's usually women are more the talkers. We know that culturally, and that's actually true, even in research. Um, but uh, well, So what that comes down to is sometimes it's harder for men to do that heart-to-heart sharing. But actually, it is often just as hard for women to for various reasons, either because they weren't allowed to do that when they were younger or because when they do, they come out with all their claws unsheathed. <laughs> and so that's their heart-to-heart sharing. Is the
1: <laughs> and so teaching
2: couples how to heart-to-heart share so they have a really genuine intimacy is a big piece. Yeah, yeah. So the emotional intimacy is a big part of the definition. Verbal intimacy is kind of tied really closely into it, the ability to just share. Mm-hmm. Um, physical intimacy, um, not just meaning sexuality, but all types of physical intimacy, affection, simple touch, um, the ability to swipe your hand across their butt, you know, that's more of a sensual intimacy. And then uh, spiritual intimacy actually is also a piece in it. People put spirituality, now all of the couples in my study were Christian, so they put spirituality in their definition of intimacy. And then sexual intimacy. So it depends. It's a big uh word, the word embassy, and people, when they say it, hmm. usually mean sexual intimacy, but they also mean the heart-to-heart sharing. Right. Okay. There's actually a book by Steve Kelly. Um, he puts it at seven levels. I like his seven levels. I use them a lot. And he talks about most people just stay at the first three, which is facts, cliches, and opinions, which you can have an embassy with somebody you meet on a plane and share facts. But how deep does embassy go? Well, Those bottom four layers are things like you just said, weaknesses, failures, dreams, hopes. Mm -hmm. Those things only, only, uh, this is old research, but I think you still find it accurate. About 15 to 20% of couples even reach that level of intimacy. Wow. Right. And -hmm. then another 25% reach it at times like weddings, funerals, illnesses. So in other words, even just that little bit is only another 25%. So even at that level... The majority of couples do not have what you would define as right. intimacy. Yeah.
0: So. That was so helpful. I think you're going to free up a lot of the viewers. I know even me. I mean, I didn't know that there was another form of physical intimacy other than sex. So that is was a, <laughs> I, that, this is a first for me. I thought I've been doing, I'm a one trick pony. I just think, I thought there's one kind. So now I've been freed up. Um, great stuff though. um so the second part of the question is let's talk about the dysfunction and if you can talk a little bit i don't know if you've got i and and just to be fair with you and the listeners and the viewers we did not ask jennifer for this and we did not ask her to bring research to the table so we're putting her on the spot if you're viewing this is hard-hitting journalism people so you can this is the real stuff we we don't mess around we grill our candidates but but talk to us a little bit about the patterns of dysfunction, just so we can be educated and maybe avoid some of the pitfalls or understand them at best.
2: Right. Uh, one of the big patterns is early early patterns uh, from, from growing up. Childhood and adolescence, What I would call negative psychosexual events. So these are negative events in sexual development that really affect people's sexuality in their current adult marital relationship. And so if you've, what you used the word taboo earlier, so um, people don't talk about sex in their families. And so when parents don't talk to children, it becomes a message of, shh, you know, this is something we don't talk about. So that pattern continues often, where the only time you talk about it isn't a joke when you're angry. So um, that can be an unhelpful pattern. And then, of course, sexual patterns begin early on, either um, where there's violations with uh, abuse and touch and molestation and things like that, rapes, um, and the majority of women have experienced that. And in my research, about thirty percent of men.
0: Um,
2: so there's a big difference. Yeah, women yeah. are more like about seventy percent. But um, so people have violations sexually that hugely affect their adult uh, sexuality. In adult sexual relationships, marital sexual relationships, um, there can be all kinds of different patterns that are problematic. And one is that when there are problems, um, the talking about it is highly conflictual. Either there's no talking about it, or when they do talk about it, it's in uh, negative terms or in anger. Um, I just this week had several couples actually dealing with erectile dysfunction. And so when you have a male with erectile dysfunction and he's feeling you know, funny about it or awful about it or embarrassed about it, and then you've got a wife that's frustrated and wondering, is it because of his childhood? Is it because of his blood flow? Is it because he's doing pornography? Is it because he... So it's, right? It's just huge. That's not one issue. If you've got a, a female with um, sexual pain... Um, he's wondering, is it because she was raped when she was this age? Is it because she's just really uptight? Is it because um, I'm too big? Is it because she's just a whiner and she's avoiding sex? Is it because she's actually got a physical illness? I mean, um, the challenge with sexual dysfunction is people don't know how to talk about it. When they do, there's so much tension and anxiety around it. Right. And then they get into conflict around it instead of, uh, being able to talk through it, get some help with it, ex- you know, just kind of work through it. How do we work around it? Is this permanent? Do we need a medical answer? So, one of the unhelpful patterns is definitely conflict around the sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, definitely when you get the whole, I love this phrase, don't touch her body till you've touched her soul. Um, okay. when, oh, beautiful. Yeah, that's no, beautiful. Good one. Yeah. yeah. Um, if you engage in sexuality and there's not a lot of other kinds of intimacy going on around along uh, with it, it's going to be problematic. And that is actually so. If you only get 15% of couples right with any kind of intimacy, guess how that's going to affect their sexuality? Um, they're still engaging in sex most likely, and right. so it's really going to. It's a very unhealthy pattern, and it's very common. Uh, in marriages, even healthy marriages, what you would consider healthy marriages. And then, of course, you tapped on one of the big ones, when there is problematic sexuality, when there's any kind of betrayals in a sexual relationship, that just has a huge impact, um, it, exponentially, actually. Um, it's the type of betrayal that's just kind of up there on all levels yeah. for everybody. And so if the betrayal is another partner, if it's just mental, if it's pornography, what, if it's an emotional affair, whatever that level of betrayal is, it absolutely has a pretty uh, big impact, especially if it's an ongoing pattern, um, meaning it just wasn't just a relationship once. It's an, uh, That's where pornography becomes so problematic that it's a pattern that becomes deeply embedded and then actually can affect not only the sexual relationship, but arousal abilities and reptile issues and things like that. So, yeah, there's quite a few factors that can be unhelpful patterns. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, thank you. And, yeah. uh, you know, as one couple who had to work through the trauma and the pain of betrayal, you know, Julie and I have been married for 28 years, uh, but at year six, there was, there was infidelity, and we actually were one, we consider us to be one among a very few select, you know, group of couples that not just were able to kind of put it back together, but we actually were able to rebuild it and into something special. And our transformation came through our experience becoming uh, Christians. And as I shared in other interviews with people like you, um, when I say that we were, we, we didn't just find this newfound allegiance to, um, a church or a building or even a group of people, but we truly found what it meant to forgive. And we found the power and humility. And we found these these teachings that have been living and active for thousands of years. Uh, they do exactly what they say they do. They liberate the human soul. And it's not just someone else guiding you down a, a, a pathway. It is literally the power of these words and putting faith and action into these words that literally transform a couple. Mm-hmm. And we experienced that. And, um, you know, we're not without issues. We, 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 we still have struggles like the rest of us, exactly. Uh, but we're very fortunate. And what we, we have now is something very, very... New and different than we did prior to that, but uh, but like a lot of the listeners today, you know, we're always looking for ways to keep things to, to learn new things and to explore new territories. You know, Julie was joking when I heard that you are going to be our visitor. I'm like, oh boy, I, I can't wait to talk to her. <laughs> I mean, we should talk to her and meet her because you know, it, our pattern is I'm I'm Mr. Adventure and Mr. Exploration, and and Julie's just traditional, and and that that's not to say that she's not amazing because she is, but we just come from this topic. We come from two very different places and even though we've been able to talk about the most intimate details of our past, it's still it's like exercise. If you don't talk about this piece ongoingly, it just dries up and it becomes routine and and there's more. And I, I'm always I always operate from the position of there's so much more to have and if we can just talk <laughs> about it, we can have it, but we have to talk about it, you know. And Anyway, I'm stealing all of her questions. so I, But that's that's something for the listener to think about. There's there's hope here, listeners. There's a lot of hope here.
2: <laughs> well, and let me just comment on forgiveness. You know, when you really understand what genuine forgiveness is, like you're talking about as, as a Christian, really, really grasping that. Yeah. yeah. Then when you give that, it's actually, there's a lot of research on forgiveness as well. And it's um, it's interesting. Even for those not in a, a spiritual realm, Uh, they found that, uh, this was couples that were studied, that uh, eight couples all had affairs, four reached forgiveness, four did not, and remorse was one of the biggest differences. Genuine remorse made the biggest difference towards forgiveness, and so, you know, how do you get there? There you go. So yeah, that's hopefully. a big piece right. that sometimes you have to help people with is how do you have genuine remorse and how do you not demand it right. and that's wait right.
1: for it right. to get there. That's
0: awesome. That's Very well put.
1: That's great. that's great. Well, that definitely brings me to my next question because because you've done so much work with so many individuals and couples over the years. Could, would you share for our listeners, you know, we, we're so grateful for our own um, mm-hmm. transformation But I know you must see them all the time. You're in the business of transformation. That's what you do. You're there for that very purpose. And so would you share, would you be willing to share for us a story of a couple or two that you've watched go from point A that really was not good to point Z that was really amazing and and the difference? Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: And as a caveat, when I share, I'm actually going to mix stories around. because I can't can't reveal identifying. Of course not. Yeah. I've got a few names in front of me, but I'm not going to say them, and I'm going to mix their stories. Um, So I've definitely had couples who have come in, and um, they've been strong in their marriage. So these two couples I'm going to talk about, um, uh, some in their marriage, some much longer in their marriage. And for each of them, uh, one, there was a lot of issues with sexual pain, and another, uh, everything was really good. So they decided to come see me because I was doing a research study, and it was cheap, and why not? (laughs) So, and it's interesting because in different ways with each couple, learning how to communicate around some of the painful dynamics that had built up around their sexuality was huge, Number one, couple number one with pain, um, I'm also trained a lot in the area of uh, sexual medicine. So in this case, I do a very thorough medical evaluation, and I'm like, ah, you need to go see a sexual medicine specialist. You probably have vestibulodynia. And sure enough, I sent her down the road, and uh, this has happened to several of my clients, and they get a diagnosis. They've been seeing um, gynecologists for 10 years. And uh, the gynecologist said, well, you know, I'm experience pain. And, you know, you just need a better lubricant. Or maybe he's not bringing you to enough natural lubrication through arousal. Or maybe you're just a little tight, and that's just how it is for some women. Or, you know, this is just how it is. And try this uh, estrogen cream and try this lubricant. And, oh, well, they're not working. Maybe you just have a yeast infection. So the women come in and they have these stories. They've been seeing lots of medical practitioners and they've been told this is just how it is. And I send them to a sexual medicine specialist who goes, "Oh, well, no. Let's look at your blood levels. Let's look at your uh, the the pelvic floor muscles. Let's look at your testosterone and your estrogen. And let's look at all your hormone levels. And oh yeah, there are glands, Bartholin's glands, Skene's glands, they're." two sets of glands around the opening to the vagina. So the vestibule is the little bit of tissue right around the opening to the vagina. And so I've gotten to live, look at someone's vagina. I've seen zillions, thousands of (laughs) of vulvas. But live, I'm looking at a vagina, and sure enough, there's the Bartholomew's glands, and there's the Skeen's glands. can't see them without, uh, I'm I'm looking at the screen, that's why I'm looking up. Uh, It's a, a magnified view. So here's this. Vagina that is this big, and there's the glands, and they're bright red. You know,
1: mm-hmm. oh, they're
2: bright red because you know there's a testosterone issue. Actually, the tissues of the vestibule are testosterone fed, so there might be a medical condition. And mm-hmm. so, these people they go on. This woman she went on testosterone, and uh, within uh, six weeks was pain free. Well, okay, so we fixed the pain, but guess what? There's there's all, all kinds of relational issues that have come up in the meantime. Of course. And so when they're coming to see me for therapy, we're working on all the, the demanding behaviors, the frustrated behaviors, the crying, the, the disconnection, the fact that usually when sexuality becomes a problem, people stop touching. So with this couple, we had to start with verbal communication. That's my dog in the background. Uh, verbal communication... Uh, Just in the relationship overall, they weren't spending a lot of good time together. We had to up their dates, up their time together. Then they had to start talking just in general more. Then we started exercises on touch and so on. And then the whole time they're getting medical care for the pain. Hmm. So by the time they were done with therapy after, I think, 20 sessions, they were not only pain-free, but their relationship was at a completely different place. Wow. So that's that situation. Well, then I've got another one where uh, this is folks that have been married longer. And I get couples that have been married like 30 years. And uh, they often have not had sex in five or ten years. Um, Either due to, yeah, I know, don't die. Uh, Sometimes there's erectile issues. Sometimes there's been, um, you know, other problems that happen and the, the sexuality just leaves. Right. So I had multiple couple. I've had multiple couples in my practice that literally haven't had sex that long. Well, you've got lots of issues you have to deal with first. You got long term damage that needs to get taken care of. Usually, you've got what I call what is called um, injuries in the relationship that you have to repair. But then um, you you have to actually begin exploring again why touch became problematic why uh, sexuality became problematic and often body image comes in. So with older women, especially women with extra weight, I'm dealing with body image. So this particular couple, we were dealing with body image. We were dealing with basics on how to communicate. Uh This is the sign for communication. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Basics on how to have conflict and so on. And how to ask questions, how to answer questions. Sometimes people have basic Communication skill deficits, and so, uh, and then working on body image. So we're working on all of these pieces a little bit at a time, and it took forever. And this does for couples. Sometimes it takes a while to get there. So that then, when we got to sexuality, everything actually went great. However, sometimes you'll get people that they haven't had sex in ten years, and now they're older. And guess what? Mm-hmm. Ah, now they've got pain issues, erectile mm-hmm. issues, ejaculation issues, because now. They're 10 years past their prime, and so uh, in some cases, and in this case, uh, somebody, when somebody's on an antidepressant, this person wasn't ejaculating, so they finally were ending up having sex. Wife was coming to orgasm, husband's not. Darn, that's a bummer. They're having a great time. No orgasm for his part. Uh, went off his antidepressant, started orgasming. So you've got medical issues that get super intertwined with relational issues that get super intertwined with views of the body and the way you grew up thinking about sex and so those are some kind of stories young couples you know um who you know they're young 20s and 30s and they're having problems with reaching actually uh this first couple i told you about there was also uh she was anorgasmic, so that's couples that have never had an orgasm so then you have to do lots of training <laughs> on how to help the husband bring her to orgasm how to help her even notice her own sensations. And so, actually, most of the time I get a couple, I don't get one dysfunction, I get two or three or four. <laughs> mm. And so, in, 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 the, in each of these cases, I have multi-dysfunctions uh, sure. in, into one couple. And so, right. uh, each of them are examples of, I've got multiple names on here, but of people that walked out of sex therapy, like, oh my gosh, this has changed our entire marriage. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, when yeah. sex is going well, it affects things, though they say about 20 percent. When sex is not going well, it affects things about 70%. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so when you get a solution to these problems, it's yeah. very happy couples.
0: Yes, yes, well done. Well done, Jennifer. That was that was great. And I, I know we have we've covered a gamut of issues yeah. and uh, you have done a masterful job. I want to ask you, uh, there's probably, I'm guessing many couples that are listening or watching or both, and they're probably thinking, you know what, we need to do something. What would be a simple first step for a couple that both of them are interested in going forward? They don't know how, but what would be a simple first step for both people that are mutually committed to just having a more fulfilling sex life? Right.
2: Right. You know, my first go-to is how to talk about sexuality. So couples, often ask, we don't even know where to start. So I give them little helpers. Um, I actually start off with non-sexual helpers. So I have them buy the ungame, the couples version. I swear the ungame needs to pay me because I have so many people buying it. (laughs) Um, Couples version, it's actually a green box. I have them start with that, and then I have them go to... um, The Gottman's love map cards, and then I have them go to my cards. Mine are the art of marriage cards, and they'll be published this next year. Um, People got my prototype that that work with me in my private office. So they're cards that basically you sit down and you just answer them, and you do this for about five minutes a day. And by the time people are done with me, they're talking about sex every day for about 10 minutes. Wow. and that's from not talking about sex for 10 years. Yeah. So, well, yeah, that's quite gross. So that's part of it is actually getting some things to help you. So either you can use some cards like that or you go buy a book. So, yeah. um, what I recommend for couples is the celebration of sex. That's my top number one by Douglas Rosano. And then mine will be coming out this next year called the art of intimate marriage to read a book and then like read a chapter and don't read ahead, read together, read right. the first chapter and then underline it, and then right. sit down and talk about it. So just find things that get you talking about sexuality. Then read the next chapter and talk about it. Then read the next chapter. Big piece, too, is get other people in there. Start talking about it with people you're close to. If you have other couples you're close to, right. bring it into those conversations. So my first recommendation is find ways to get yourself talking more about it. Find ways to read more about it. Help with talking about it, and then my third thing is talk some more about it. So honestly, right. <clears throat> the first thing to start is the communication piece. Awesome. Yeah.
0: And what would be one simple ground rule if couples are going to talk about it for the first time? What's one simple ground rule that will protect them from not injuring each other in a very delicate area of life?
2: I am so glad you asked that. <laughs> um, I actually coach that before I send them out the door. That if they're going to do a book or some cards or even have a communication, that when someone says so, if it's about sexuality directly, let's say they're going to have a sexual conversation. So one thing I really enjoy is when we cuddle for a while together and then we have sex. And what I teach the spouse to do is reflect. So that would be the one thing, is to say, so one thing you enjoy is... When we cuddle more and then we have sex, yes. Great. And then the other one shares actually putting that one piece in, learning how to reflect what you hear the yeah. other person saying. It's an active listening tool. Right. When I do other pieces, I go way deeper than that. But it is the first thing that I teach is slow down before you say, well, but we do cuddle. Or, well, what do you mean? Or, you know, people react to the other person's comments and you're thinking about how to, how to rebuttal instead of really listening. So really hearing
1: what they say and saying it back, that's the first thing.
0: Great, fantastic. Great.
1: Well, Jennifer, we could continue and continue and continue because we know years and years of research. And and as you mentioned, with only 15% getting to that spot of intimacy, yes. let's just face it, the rest of us are, the, the audience is huge for what you have to say. So, and that brings me to my final just thought. Thank you so much, first of all, but I know you do a lot of trainings, you do a lot of, you talk about your book coming out, you have these cards and your, I, I, I'd love to know where to get the cards, and you're going to share more about that, but also your manual, I think, is is that being made into the book that you're talking about, or that's something separate? The manual's
2: finished, and those who actually take my training get the manual, it's not okay. actually um, available to the general public yet, because you have to have some pretty good training before you use it.
1: Okay. okay.
2: Um, the book actually, that for couples though, will come out this next summer. Um, called The Art of Intimate Marriage. And then the cards will come out at the same time. That's great. That's great. That's really great.
1: So is there something that you could offer the audience now? Now.
2: So now you can actually go on jenniferconsontherapist.blogspot.com. I think that is, I could see you saying that wrong, but if you just Google Jennifer Conson Therapist, don't put any spaces in, put the whole thing in, you'll find my blog. And actually it's the book.
1: So you'll wow. be getting the book
2: free, so you can wow. read it for now. Wow. And, and nobody comments on it. I think everybody's too embarrassed. Um, we will. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, um, uh, it will come down off once it actually, sometime in the next few months, it will no longer be up to actually be read. So you can go and you'll get the pre-production version of the book. Um, it's about three quarters done. And it's got exercises in it. So, again, you're going to be
0: paying
2: for them in a few months. So, <laughs> yeah, go try them out now.
0: <laughs> well, we'll make sure that we put the actual link when yeah. we uh, now in this, uh, this presentation. So, for all of you, the link will be following shortly at the end of the conclusion of this uh, Telesummit. But, uh, Jennifer, fantastic work. Uh, you are, you know, you're working in a, a super important area. And uh, we really need people like you to take something that's special and delicate and make it Uh, Mm user-friendly. And so thank you for being courageous. Thank you for being diligent in helping people like us move forward. And uh, we wish you all the best in your practice. And we're probably going to invite you back to another Telesummit. That's our guess.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe something live or visit one of your trainings. You did mention your training. (laughs) Do you want to share just briefly about trainings that you offer? Yeah, I have two different kinds of
2: trainings. One is for therapists. Okay. And so it's the training for both sex therapy in general and specifically for my model. Um, and so you can go to my website at theartofintimatemarriage.com, marriage.com and it has the trainings and the links on there. Or you can email me at Jennifer Conson or theartofintimatemarriage Marriage at the Either one of those addresses will get to me. And um then that's for therapists, and then I also do intensive trainings. So we actually don't have one scheduled right now, but that is when I have couples come who want to come for two weekends, separated by about two weeks, so they have time for homework, and uh, they come for a Friday-Saturday, and they come two weeks later for a Friday-Saturday, and we do an intensive training for improving sexuality, so... That's great. Exciting. Yeah.
0: And that's a good word, exciting. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank right. you. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jennifer. Your work is so needed and so appreciated. And uh, we will look forward to connecting with you further and getting your book and sharing this wonderful information and helping many through your works and your 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 wisdom. So We really do appreciate it, and we hope you have a fantastic
2: rest of your day.